Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Heavenly Father, we come again with bowed heads and humbled hearts and contrite spirits. Thanking you again, Lord, for another day not promised to us. Lord, I ask that you forgive us of our sins and our iniquities and our shortcomings and our transgressions. And those things, Lord, that place a veil between you and us. Lord, I'm grateful for this time again that I have with my brothers and sisters in Christ. I'm grateful, Lord, that all that you have done, Lord, to keep us in good health and perfect peace to this point. I'm asking, Lord, that we continue to gain favor in your life as we try to figure out this thing of living, Lord, in sanctification and holiness. It's a rough road, Lord, but we have to fight our way in. And that's the only thing that's going to take us through this is our will, Lord, to your spirit. So I'm asking, Lord, that you would pour out your spirit right now, that your Holy Ghost fall mightily, that you build us up in you, Lord, that we may be able to face the day-to-day grind and dealing with all that the enemy has to come. I'm asking, Lord, that you make our paths plain and clear, that we see what our calling is in our lives, Lord, uh, concerning you. Give us everything, Lord, that we're going to need because times won't get any easier. But the joy of the Lord is our strength. So I'm asking that you continue to give us joy. Give us resilience, Lord. Allow us to praise you, Lord, even in times of bad. Let us praise you and be thankful, Lord, and and receiving all that you have. Even, Lord, when things don't go our way, Lord, let us uplift the name of Jesus, because it's the name above all names. For you are the King of kings and Lord of lords. And I'm asking, Lord, right now that you bind every foul spirit, every demonic spirit, every spirit of deception, every spirit of uh, rejection, Lord, every spirit that is anti-Christ, Lord, that's unclean, that's not of your spirit, let it be moved out of the way, Lord. Give us um, the eyes to see and the ears to hear, Lord, as we partake in your word, and let it be nourishment unto us. Lord, do these things for your glory. Do them for your honor. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, so today's study is going to be pretty interesting because um, it's it's called um, Unconditional Eternal Security is a Lie from Hell. Okay, so I'm here to prove that. Um, We're also going to look at the perspective of those that believe that it's valid. You know, there's a guy... He has a website called Jesus is Savior, and the guy brings out a lot of good points. And I think that he has some very good points concerning his stance on eternal life or salvation. But I think he's overlooking a things called free will, you know, and the will to want to follow the Lord. The will that he doesn't believe that salvation can be lost. I'm here to prove that it can be. Now, if we truly are following the Lord and doing what he calls us to do, and we're being built up every day calling on the Lord, then I believe that we cannot lose it if we continue in the ways of the Lord. So this guy is kind of saying that, you know, you can't lose it no matter what once you're in. But then he, in that argument, he's bringing up the point that 
well, a real Christian would continue in the ways of the Lord. So my question is, you're kind of defeating your own purpose by saying, if you continue in the ways of the Lord. So it means you have to. What does that mean? It's conditional. It means if you don't do that, then it's lost. Okay, so this is the, the thing that we're going to pick out today and um, make it clear because I think a lot of Christians are separated on this fact, I mean, on this situation, because many of them think we are once saved, always saved, which brings about some laziness. And we're going to cover a lot of that come Tuesday study. But then I believe there are some that are trying to prove their faith or keep their faith through works. So that's also an error. You have to stay in the middle of the road. If you have faith, the Bible says that you will have good works. Okay, but we yield to the Holy Ghost and we keep the faith. So that means it takes our will to do so. But it's our will to yield to the Holy Ghost. So if you, if you have a will to yield or not yield, then that means that your situation is conditional. I don't know if that makes any sense or not. So, yeah, we're going to cover a lot because... Um, I don't know this guy's name, and I have nothing against him personally, but he has a website called Jesus is Savior. I have gone to it several times to pick out some points, and I think that he brings up some very good points. But on this, I think he's more soulish in nature, you know, trying to use emotionalism to explain his point. So much so that even what he reads here or what's read in the Bible, he'll overlook and put his own spin on it. So we got to be outside of that. We have to follow what the Lord calls us to do. So I'm going to read a little of what this guy has, and then I'm going to prove my point. I think it's only fair to give the opposition their time first, even though I'm speaking in his words. All right, so he says, uh, To him give all the prophets witness that through his name, whosoever believeth in him shall receive remission of sins. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's Acts 10 and 34. That's Romans 10 and 13. Now we can all agree with this. There's nothing that he said that was wrong. We shall be saved if we believe in the name of the Lord. Okay, but it also says shall be saved. As in you're not fully saved. That it's a process that you're going through. So he underlined it, but to me it doesn't. You know, we'll just continue. Yes, I will prove it uh, from the Bible. So he's going to prove you shall be saved. All right. I mean, well, it's the um, eternal security is valid. A man recently wrote me attacking me, saying that I am a false prophet on my way to hell and am sinfully proud uh, for, for teaching once saved, always saved. He provides a list of numerous scriptures that alleged evidence uh, that salvation can be lost. I would like to examine each of the scriptures he provided and honestly consider what they mean. So many of the things that he has are not even my list of scriptures for debunking it, but this is 1 Corinthians uh, 15, uh, 1 and 2. So you guys can go there if you want, so that way we can, um, you can see what he's saying firsthand, and, you know, we'll go into what's what. 1 Corinthians 15, 1 and 2. All right, 1 Corinthians 15, 1 and 2, and it says, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, 
which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand, by which also ye are saved. If ye keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. So that has nothing to do. This is what someone sent him, and this is his um, argument for debunking it. To me, this has nothing to do with one saved, always saved. So this is uh, 1 Corinthians. He said, view 1 Corinthians 15, 12, and 14. Now, if Christ be preached uh, that he rose from the dead, how say some among you that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there be no resurrection of the dead, then is Christ not risen? And if Christ be not risen, then is our preaching vain, and your faith is also vain. It is clear from verses uh, 12 to 14 that the Apostle Paul is warning about unsaved religious people in the church in uh, verses 1 and 2, not true believers in danger of losing their salvation. Paul is simply warning the churchgoers at Corinth that they are better examined, I mean, they had better examined their faith. Uh, see 2 Corinthians 13 and 5. We're not going there, but, well, yeah, I guess we should. Let's just go there real quick. But see, the point already here where he's tripped up, well, one, he says they're not for true believers in danger of losing their salvation. Then he says that they had better examine themselves in the faith. So what happens if you believe you've once been saved, you've accepted Jesus Christ, but you're not examining yourself in the faith? What's going to happen to you? You'll walk away from it. Exactly. So this is where this guy is already tripped up, but we're going to continue. All right, it says, because some of them were denying the resurrection of Jesus Christ, obviously such a person would not be saved. There are many professed Christians today who deny the deity of Jesus Christ, the Godhead of the virgin birth. They are unsaved modernist imposters. I agree. All right, so we're going to read a little of this and then we'll get into what we um, have once again, we clearly see how critics of eternal security pervert the scriptures in their own destruction. Yeah, like, look who's talking. Uh, Hebrews 3 and 6, and this is Hebrews, I mean, and uh, 3 and 14. So we'll go there. Hebrews 3 and 6 and Hebrews 3 and 14. All right, and he says... But Christ as a son over his own house, whose house are we, if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm until the end. Proponents of losing one's salvation are guilty once again of taking scripture out of context. Please consider Hebrews 3, uh, 14 and 19. For we are made partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast unto the end. While it is said today, if we will hear his voice, harden not your hearts, as in the provocation. Uh, for some, uh, when they had heard, did provoke, howbeit not all that came out of Egypt by Moses, but with whom he was grieved forty years. Was it not with them that had sinned, whose carcasses fell in the wilderness, and to whom swear he that they should not enter into his rest? Uh, but to them that believe not, so we see that uh, they could not enter in because of unbelief. Carefully notice in verses 18 and 19 the words believe not and unbelief. Clearly these scriptures are speaking about false Christians who were never saved to begin with. 
not about believers losing eternal life. Um, America's churches are filled with phonies who act religious, talk with uh, spiritual lingo, and think they are saved. But they are on their way to hell in unbelief. Hey, I'm with them on this. All right. Many of the Jews in the wilderness died in unbelief and went to hell. Um, this is Hebrews uh, 4 and 2, and it says, For unto us was the gospel preached, as well as unto them. But the word preached did not profit them, uh, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. All right, uh, so what does Hebrew 3.6 actually mean? I'm not going to go there. Let's just continue. All right, we're going to go to Hebrews 10 and 19 for this guy. Because that one there, I don't disagree with him on. You know, he's right as far as their unbelief. But the thing that he brings up that he fails to realize in that story in Hebrews 3 is that I believe many of them did believe until they saw those giants. So you got to believe all the way through up into the promise. So the argument he's making as far as those were unbelievers up to that point, he's got some point. But the thing is, is I think they did. Well, why did they go along? So they did somewhat believe until they saw the promised land. Right. Hebrews 10, um, 19 through 31. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, his flesh, and having on high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled with an evil conscience, and um, our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. So he's saying we have to hold fast without wavering. Okay, those are the conditions. Uh, for he is faithful that promised. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of, our, of, of ourselves together, as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much of the more, as ye see the day approaching, for if we sin willfully after that, we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins. But a certain fearful uh, looking for the judgment and fiery indignation, which shall devour of the adversaries. Now this is talking about willful sin that we've all been here. The point is, is that he's saying that there'll be no more sacrifice. So if we continue in these ways, that we will, all we have is fiery indignation, which is pretty much hell, uh, which shall devour the adversaries. He that despiseth Moses' Moses's law um, died without mercy under two or three witnesses. Of how much uh, sore punishment suppose ye shall he be uh, thought worthy, uh, who hath trodden underfoot the Son of God, and hath counted the blood of, his, of the covenant, wherewith he was sanctified and holy thing, and have done despite uh, unto the Spirit of grace. For we know him that hath said, Vengeance belongeth unto me, I will recompense, saith the Lord. And again, the Lord shall bring his people uh, in, the, in a fearful thing. It is a fearful thing to fall in the um, hands of the living God. So this is his explaining for it. Now the just shall, this is down to uh, Hebrews 10, 38 and 39. 
Now the just shall live by faith, but if any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. But we are not of them who draw back unto perdition, but of them that believe to the saving of the soul. Okay, now that makes clear, to the saving of the soul, not to a saved soul. Okay, uh, the issue here is faith. This is his explanation. These scriptures plainly speak about unbelievers, fake Christians who go back into the world because they never had uh, faith in Jesus Christ in the first place. So why would he say if any man draw back? Right. Okay, so this, this debunks what he's saying right now because you had to be walking in the faith in order to draw back. Draw back from what? If I'm a fake, then I'm just there pretending. So why would Paul waste his time on that? Paul is talking about someone who knows the truth in Jesus Christ and decides to draw back, weaken their flesh, and he's saying, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. So why would his soul have pleasure in an unbeliever right. knowing that they're just there and pretending? So this debunks what this guy is saying here, but I'm going to um, finish what he says. Okay, um unbelievers, fake Christians who go back into the world because they never had faith in Jesus Christ in the first place. It doesn't say that. Our churches are filled with such hypocrites today. Hebrews 10:29 mentions, those who had tried and underfoot the Son of God and have counted the blood of the covenant, wherewith he was sanctified in holy thing. No true Christian would do that. Believers trust uh, Jesus Christ. This is... <laughs> They trust Jesus Christ, believers. So there's no point in building up your faith. All of a sudden you believe, and this guy is saying you're there. So if you're not built up at the time you believe, you're a phony, which is ridiculous. Mm -hmm. All right, this is all the writer of Hebrews is saying. One who departs from the Christian faith never had faith to begin with. That is not what it says. But he's, he's um, relating this to another scripture and is hell-bound to perdition in the lake of fire. No Christian can ever face perdition. Eternal life is a free gift of God. Uh, he says, Romans 5 and 15 says this, and 6 and 23, salvation is without works. Uh, Titus 3, 5, Ephesians 2, 8, 9. So that's his argument as far as um, Ephesians 10. And then he mentions, for if we sin willfully after that, we have received the knowledge of the truth. There remaineth no more sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful looking for the judgment of fiery indignation. This verse speaks of people uh, who has, who has uh, heard the gospel and rejected it. It's not what it's saying at all, but this is his point. If as those who teach, uh, you can lose salvation claim, Hebrews 10 and 26 applies to Christians, then we're all in serious trouble. If there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins for the believer, then we're all going to hell. See, so this guy somehow, before I continue reading, is relating just the circumstances of Christians going to hell to not seeing the truth, what is actually being said here. He's saying if anyone draws back, I already covered this, you have to be in the faith in order to do so. Mm -hmm. Other than that, you're just an unbeliever. Paul didn't say they were unbelievers. He said, if we sin willfully, meaning that you know the truth. Right. Okay, so this is what he's speaking of. So he says, um, there's just, uh, there's no such thing as a believer who doesn't sin. In fact, the Bible defines a just man as one who sins repeatedly, but keeps getting back up to live for God. 
That depends on what sins you're talking about, because the thing is, is that the Bible speaks of us being perfected in Christ, being matured. What's the point in your obedience being fulfilled in Christ in order to keep falling and committing the same sins? So this guy, in some ways, is speaking for sin. He's saying, as long as you believe in Jesus and you sin, you know that you're covered because you believe in Jesus. And he's saying that and the excuse he uses is that we all sin, so we would all go to hell. No, this is about being perfected in Christ and learning as we go. The process of sanctification. So he can't use this argument to say that if we speak against people that draw back, that uh, well, people that fall, they have to be... Um, th good. Sounds like he's also... Uh, you know how... What was this? One of the guys that was exposed on the false talks to the false prophets last week? Yeah. Prince? Where Joseph was, Prince. Joseph Prince, thank you. Yeah, Derek Prince was a man <laughs> yeah, of God. Yeah, he was a man of God, but Joseph yeah. Prince was against repentance. It sounds like this guy is also against repentance and asking for forgiveness for sins. Because if he's like, well, if everyone sins, if you're sinning and you just, you know, you're a Christian, well, part of the perfecting process is asking for forgiveness and asking the Lord to build you up and make you stronger, right? Absolutely. And the, the cover what he's saying here, let's go to Jude... Um, 14. But thank you for correcting me because I don't want people saying, see? <laughs> yeah, exactly. We want to have that right. Yeah, because Derek friends with a real man of God, yeah. Alright. So, um, No, I mean, because this guy's pretty much saying that, you know, we all sin, so we'd all go to hell. So, you know, we can't use that excuse. The Bible doesn't say that. The Bible does say all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But what would be the difference of us being perfected in Christ just to do the things that we've been doing and say that we believe? Mm -hmm. So this guy's kind of jumping on both sides of things. One minute he's saying that there are false people that don't believe that commit sin. But then he's saying we can't be truly sanctified either because we've all sinned. So what side is this guy standing on? But you see, when you jump in your feelings, you can't be on one, the right side or the wrong side. You're going to pick what points best suits your feelings. Okay, so... Huh? Being lukewarm. Exactly. Choosing what he wants to follow, the truth, and using that, but then manipulating the word to go with what he Exactly. All right, so it says, And Enoch also, the seventh from Adam, prophesied of thee, saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousand of his saints to execute judgment upon all, to convince all that are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds, which they have ungodly committed, and of all uh, their hard speeches, uh, which ungodly sinners have spoken against, against him. These are murmurers, complainers, walking after their own lust, and their mouth speaking great swelling words, uh, having men's persons in admiration because of advantage. But, beloved, remember ye the words which were uh, spoken before of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, how that they uh, told you there should be mockers in the last days who should walk after their own ungodly lust. These be they who separate themselves sensual, having not the spirit. 
but ye, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost. So what is he saying here? You have to build yourself up, okay? You have to be built up in the faith. You don't just decide to believe, and then you just go walking from there, okay? The Holy Ghost has to fill you, and you have to be built up. All right, verse 21. Keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. And of uh, some have compassion, making a difference. And others have we um, saved with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. To the only wise God and Savior be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen. The point that I wanted here was verse 24. Unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to, pre and to present you faultless, all right, before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. So these sins can be conquered. I'm not talking about a nature of, you know, at times you might be in the flesh and you might be angry. Or you may say something to someone and then you say, Lord, forgive me. I'm talking about the things that are on that list concerning the lake of fire. When you go to Revelation um, 21 and 7 and they tell you what, the, what we should have. Okay, liars, fearful, unbelieving, idolaters. Those people will have their part in the lake. So it sounds like this guy's mixing some things up. But the point is, is we are able to not fall. Okay, because I don't believe that this, the disciples were engaged in any sins. I mean, Peter might have had a small issue. He was still somewhat prejudiced. Remember, you go to Galatians 2, that he wasn't receiving them. And Paul came and corrected him. Peter repented, and they moved on. Okay, but this guy is talking about, well, all we do is fall and get back up. That depends on what type of falling you're talking about. Now, if you're falling and being perfected over time, then I agree with this guy. But if you're talking about constantly falling with no change, and because you say that you believe in Jesus by the time you get to, you know, judgment, and you think that that's going to be okay with God, it won't be. Because if he has a list of what we should not do, then there's no way in the world that we can make it, okay, at the end of time, still doing those things on that list. Okay, so this is where I disagree with this guy. I don't know if I'm making sense or not. Oh, matter of fact, um, 2 Corinthians chapter 10. And he also says, if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It didn't say some. It said all unrighteousness. Now, that would be a fulfilling of the Holy Ghost being led by the Spirit. So what this guy is talking about, it's like he wants to hang on to the excuse of you don't have to work to be saved, but then he wants to believe that you're one saved, always saved. So he's already jumping back and forth. All right. Um, am I making sense? Anybody want to add anything? Or? Well, he completely skips over all Paul's warnings and heedings about, you know, having to buffet his body. We're going to get there, but yeah, that's the whole thing. What's uh, the name of this person? I don't know. He's a, he, he runs the uh, Jesus is Savior website, oh. so you guys can write that down and look it up, but 
He brings up some good points. This guy is spot on on so many things. But when it comes to this, if you're once saved, always saved, then, I mean, God violates your free will. You have no way out of this. Now, if you're a child that's striving, that has fallen and made mistakes, hey, who knows better than me? I know what it is to fall, but I also recognize the Lord cleansing me in my life as I go. You know, there are things that he takes away the appetite for that I will not commit them anymore. All right? And now, if I go back to it willfully, then that's on me. But Jesus told that woman, go and sin no more, lest a worse thing come upon thee. Okay? So you know that we've already talked about what the demons do when you go back into sin. They multiply against you. All right? So, um, all right, 2 Corinthians 10 and 1, and it says, now I, Paul, uh, myself beseech you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, who in presence and base among you, but being absent and bold toward you. But I beseech you that I may not be bold when I am present with the confidence, wherewith I think to be bold against some, which tell of, which tell of us as if we walked according to the flesh. Uh, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God, to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God, and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. It's telling you right here, if you yield to the Spirit of God, that every thought will be brought to the obedience of Christ, which means that you will follow the Lord in all that he commands us. Because you're not just a sinner saved by grace. That's a lie. You are a, a, a saint being perfected in Christ. Okay, so a sinner, the difference between the two we talked about before is appetite. A sinner has an appetite to sin. A sinner will say, I am, I am fine with what I'm doing, you know, but I do believe in Jesus. But it's okay for me to do what I'm doing, you know, or you don't have that will to fight against what you're into. But a saint is someone that they may slip and fall from time to time, but they're, they're gradually becoming better in Christ. Right. He's doing work to them and through them to make them perfect. All right, so it says, bring every thought to the obedience. Then it says, and having in a readiness to revenge all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. So there is a part where we will reach full obedience if we yield to the Holy Ghost. And I believe that is the baptism by fire. You can't talk about a thing concerning once saved, always saved void of knowing what's in the spirit and being baptized in fire. Now, if you're baptized in fire and you really are pursuing the Lord, absolutely. That means you're on fire for Christ. You're, I won't say possessed by the Holy Ghost. In some ways you can use that term because he's doing the things that you're doing, the things that he's calling you to do. So if you want to reach that point, if this guy is talking about fire baptism, I totally agree with him. Okay, but we got to make clear, too, that Judas did many of the things that the disciples did. Judas healed the sick. Judas cast out devils. The Lord gave him the authority, too. But in the end, it was still up to Judas to do what he did. Now, some people would say Judas was never with them because Jesus said, I chose 12 of you, and one of you was a devil. 
the point that Jesus is making is he is God and he knows all things. So even right now, while we're working out our salvation, the Lord knows who's going to be saved and who won't be saved. But would that keep you from striving? Would, would you just say from there, well, since he knows, I may as well give up? No, you're going to do what he tells you to do, and he is the deciding factor behind who gets in and who doesn't get in. But he knows. So Jesus was just simply prophesying, yeah, one of you is a devil. He didn't say who up until the end. But Judas had a fair chance to do everything that they did, but he chose otherwise. So anybody void of the true Holy Ghost, I will agree that they are unsaved. Yeah. All right, And Romans 8 makes clear of that. All right, so I'm going to cover a couple of other things this God does, and then we'll get right into what we have. Okay, so this is um, Hebrews 6, uh, 4, and 6. Now, this tells me this guy here is totally ignorant of the Spirit, but I'll read it. Um, yeah, Hebrews 6 and 4. But I do agree with him. There's a lot of false Christians, a lot of people out there, but now God tells people when they're saved. When you say you're once saved, always saved, then how do you measure that? other than enduring unto the end, like the Bible says that you have to do. Yeah. Does that also go to the point of where people are relying on, like, pastors and whatnot to tell them they're saved and not the Lord? Because it's only Christ oh, yeah. is the only one that can tell us we're saved and not people? Yeah. And I agree with him, man. I mean, you know, there are silly preachers in these pulpits, and there are silly people going to church, getting no closer to God than they really are. Mm -hmm. And they think that that is their Christian duty. All right, so Hebrews 6, 4 and 6, and it says, 4 to 6, it says, for, if, for it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and were made partakers of the Holy Ghost and have tasted of the word of God and the powers of the world to come. If they shall fall away to renew them again unto repentance, seeing they crucified to themselves the Son of God afresh and put him to an open shame. Now, check this guy out, all right? These scriptures, he says, are speaking about unbelievers, okay, who have heard the gospel, have experienced the convicting power of the Holy Ghost, and have had the opportunity to get saved but have deliberately rejected Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. You can't do that. No. And this, I'm going to show you where this guy is wrong. We'll, we'll read it ourselves. Hebrews um, 6. i got to get there with you guys. Does it say anything else in like the different books, of, like different Bible versions? Maybe. I wouldn't doubt it. But I know the King James does it. But, okay, but he's quoting the King James. So this guy is even someone who speaks up for the King James. That's how accurate this guy is with a lot of stuff. Mm -hmm. He supports the truth in so many ways, but again, you know, not being appended to a personality, you got to seek the truth in Christ for yourself. Don't right. believe anything that everyone tells you. All right, so this is what Hebrews 6 says. Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on unto perfection not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith towards God, of, um, of the doctrine of baptisms and of laying on of hands, 
and of resurrection of the dead and of eternal judgment. Okay, so quick points. We covered the gifts of the Holy Ghost. If you look here, because we're going to go through this slowly, it says, um, let us go on unto perfection. That means mature. Mm -hmm. All right, two, not laying again the foundation of repentance from the dead works um, uh, and to faith and faith towards God. Of the doctrine of baptisms, okay, that's one. That's when you turn from the world. And of laying on of hands. What did Jesus say? If you lay on hands and you believe, they shall recover. Mm -hmm. If you lay hands on the sick, they shall recover. So this is a person working in the power of the Holy Ghost. Right. Okay, so then it says, and of resurrection of the dead. That means, you know, if, if you had the authority and the power being full of the Holy Ghost, to raise the dead. Okay, so this is what they're they're speaking of. They're speaking of a Christian, a manifested son of God turning back. Yeah. That's what they're speaking of. So it says, and of eternal judgment. And this will we do if God permit. Okay, so this is clearly speaking about a Christian. This is not speaking of an unbeliever. For if for it is impossible for those who were once enlightened who have tasted of the heavenly gift and were made partakers of the Holy Ghost. The only people that are partakers of the Holy Ghost are believers. Yep. Okay, they are Christians. And then it says, and have tasted the good word, meaning you know this word mm -hmm. of God, and the powers of the world to come. That means that you are doing those miracles like Jesus said in Mark 16 and 15, Go into all the world and preach the gospel. Whosoever will believe, you know, will be saved. Whoever does it will be damned. And he said, these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name, they will cast out devils. They will speak with new tongues. They shall take up serpents. If they eat any deadly thing, it will not harm them. They shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. Yep. So this is what they're speaking of. So, and then it says, if they shall fall away to renew them again unto repentance, seeing they have crucified to themselves the Son of God afresh and put him to an open shame. So this tells you here that there is a point to where once you become a manifested Son of God, there is no excuse for you. Why? Because you know that God is real. It's not like everyone else who's trying to work it out, trying to believe. Maybe this is true. Maybe it ain't true. You know, I'm just working my way out and hope that the Lord saves me. You're past that point. You have the Holy Ghost flowing through you to do the miracles of God. So there is a point where you can go too far and turn back and there remains no repentance for you. It's just like if you were to, um, you know, like think about Lucifer. Lucifer was sitting at the throne of God. He covered the throne of God. Why didn't he get a second chance? Mm -hmm. Why didn't they just say, uh, Lucifer, it's okay, come on back in, just apologize to everybody, apologize to the Lord, and go on. He fell from where he was, okay, because he knew the truth. The angels themselves had the power of the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost is what empowers God's kingdom. So the fact that he went that far and he decided to fall away, there was no, I mean, there's no repentance of sins from that point. But it says if you turn away, it doesn't say if you fall, but if you turn away and then to try and come back, there remains no repentance for you. 
So there is a limit to where you can go. Now, are we there yet? No, not, not, but I'm talking about a fulfilling of the Holy Ghost. So this guy is ignorant of the spirit and he's trying to explain something spiritual through carnal means. Mm -hmm. This is clearly not an unbeliever. This is someone that experienced the powers. That word is dunamis. Right. Where we get the word dynamite of the world to come. So this guy knows the truth. And, you know, they fell away. I'm going to make a quick point. Yeah. That turning versus falling. Like turning away is a choice. It's your will, you know. Right. Um, whereas falling, it's not really a choice. You don't expect what you're going to do. Right. And, in, and the example I'll use for that is Peter himself was prejudiced. You know, if you read Galatians 2, Peter said that, um, well, he refused to sit with the Gentiles because he feared what the other um, believers would think, the other um, what are, the other Jews would think. Okay, so Paul came and corrected him and said, Peter, you're wrong. You know, I, he said, I withstood Peter to the face and told him he was wrong. Like, what's the point in them being like us if you want to be away from them? So that was just the Lord making a correction at this point, you know, and setting Peter right. So if you're talking about that type of stuff, yes. But Peter wasn't going back fornicating. Peter wasn't, you know, um, out there killing, you know, or robbing or doing any of that stuff or just deciding not to believe in God and then coming back. The disciples were way past that point is what I'm saying. They were full of the spirit. They followed the Lord. But if you're talking a little thing like that, yeah, like we covered last week with Elijah. Elijah ran away, which would have been considered a sin because it was unbelief. But he got built up in the Lord, you know, and went right back out there for real. Okay, so I'll continue. So he says, uh, these scriptures are speaking about unbelievers who have heard the gospel, have experienced the convicting power of the Holy Ghost. He's wrong. The convicting power of the Holy Ghost is who tells you you are wrong. That's what conviction is. Hey, you messed up, and you're going to make this right. That's convicting power. They're not talking about dunamis power, what he's saying. They're speaking of dunamis power. They're speaking of what you have had the Holy Ghost, you're inflamed, and then you decide to turn away. No, I mean, you know, at that point, you know everything there is to know. There's nothing that anyone can show you now that God is real. So that's all they're saying. Does that make any sense? Or, But he's saying convicting power of the Holy Ghost and have had the opportunity to get saved, but have deliberately rejected Jesus as their personal Savior. Now, what blasphemy? I mean, can you imagine this? That is not what he's speaking about here. But this is how a worldly person who calls himself a Christian, not understanding the things of the Spirit whatsoever, trying to explain it. Yeah. And you know how many people he's going to damn to hell with this? For believing that, he says, it is ridiculous to claim that these scriptures apply to believers because the Bible uses the word impossible. In Hebrews 6, 4, uh, he's going to say it again. It is impossible for believers to repent of their sins and get right with God. Now he's twisting things. The Bible didn't say that. Okay? Right. And then he says, did not Peter repent after denying and cursing the name of Jesus? Was Peter full of the Holy Ghost at that point? No. Because this is before Acts, the second chapter. Right. And he still had to repent and, and, and wait on the back. Lord. Yeah. Oh, this is how a lot of people are going to get caught out there. Okay. Uh, yes, he did. 
Oh, he did, huh? Okay, well, that's not the subject. Um, did not King David repent after impregnating Bathsheba in an adulterous affair and murdering her husband, Uriah? Yes, he did. 1 John 1, 9 promises that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He just, well, why is he bringing this up if he just said that a Christian is just going to stumble and fall constantly until they get saved? So, exactly. But this is how people can use things and then twist things. Mm -hmm. Why? Because he's caught in his emotions. Now, as far as David and, David and Bathsheba goes, David repented of that sin. The baby had to be taken. And there was something proclaimed on David's life concerning his family. He right. said, the sword shall not depart from your house. So because David made it, he repented, but the Lord still had to judge him. Why did he judge him? Because David already knew the truth. So he still had to have a judgment upon his life. He didn't get away scot-free. And, and David um, was not full of the Holy Ghost. Right. Okay, David at times was influenced by the Holy Ghost, and he did prophesy, and he did do things. But the Holy Ghost wasn't imparted to man fully until Acts, the second chapter, right. when Jesus came and then he left and then he gave his spirit. Before that point, guys were being guided by the spirit. Mm -hmm. Like, remember last week when Elijah was um, in his situation, an angel of the Lord came and strengthened him. But that spirit wasn't in Elijah. That's right. the whole point. All right. All right, so he says, um, you know, faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So clearly, Hebrews 6, 4 and 6 is speaking about the unsaved. A person who rejects the Savior is hellbound, and there is no other hope for them apart from Christ. So we already debunked this, but you see how this guy can actually lose a person that he doesn't even understand the things of the Spirit. So in some ways, I would agree with this other guy questioning his salvation. Because if you really are led by the Spirit, you're not going to make these types of bold claims that you know God, but yet you can't even explain His Word. All right, let's go to James 5 and 19 and 20. This one actually is on my list. We're going to cover this. But I don't want to confuse anyone, but I do want to make the point that it takes a spiritual mind to understand the things of the Spirit. And this guy is totally ignorant of it. It was clearly speaking about a believer who turns away. Right. All right, this is his other explanation for James 5, 19 and 20. We're going to read it. Brethren, if any of you do err from the faith and one convert him, let him know that he which converted the sinner from the error of his way shall save a soul from uh, death and shall hide a multitude of sins. He says, um, James 1, 1 reveals that the apostle was writing to his Jewish brethren. Regardless of who he's speaking to, what's the point here that's being made? He says, all right, uh, let's see, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ and of the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad, greeting. All right, this is his explanation. As is the case today, there were many unsaved people among the saved. Most of the scriptures that the uh, proponents of losing salvation claim are scriptures speaking about unsaved religious people in the church. It is a grave mistake to interpret that scripture without taking 
into consideration the truth that eternal life is a free gift. We're not arguing the fact that eternal life is a free gift. Okay, so this is where he's getting tripped up. We're speaking about the fact that a saved person will have to stay saved until the end. Mm -hmm. It's not about just getting it and then just, you know, doing what you want. All right, so back to James 5 and 19 and 20. It says, brethren, if any of you do error from the faith and one convert him, let him know uh, that he which converted the sinner from the error of his way shall um, save a soul from death and shall hide a multitude of sins. So this is clearly speaking about someone that was in the faith, that erred from the faith, and someone bringing him back on course, saying, man, you just saved this guy from a multitude of his sin, you know, um, or, or from hell. So this is the explanation that they're bringing. So he was, how do you err from the faith if you're not in the faith? Right. But he still claims here they're speaking of unbelievers. It's just like the point that James 5, 19 and 20 is saying. It, like, imagine me, you know, up here teaching this, but then I decide to believe in a pre-trip rapture, and I wait on that, you know, and you guys tell me there's nowhere in Scripture where it says it, and I'm like, oh, there's really nowhere in Scripture that says it, and you show me, oh, all right, well, I guess I'll follow that one. You guys will be bringing me back under the truth, under the faith, mm -hmm. or if I were to slip and fall, or I decide to go into some other sin, you know, and I'm, I'm trying to justify it. And you guys say, hey, you know, if you believe in Christ, you shouldn't do that. And this is where it says it. Then you've saved me from a multitude of sin. Why? Because I would continuously do things in error, sinning along, you know, as much as I can. So this is all James 5 and 19 and 20 is explaining. So this guy claim it's speaking of an unbeliever. This is speaking of a believer who can go off track from the faith and be brought back to the faith. Because we still have a choice. Exactly. So he's still arguing about salvation being a free gift. That's not our argument. All right? It is a free gift. You, own, you accept that gift through faith. But what did James say? Faith without works is dead. Okay? Because if I, if I really am in the faith, then I have to stay in the faith. I don't know. Uh, anybody have anything to add? If not, we'll move on. Because I'm going to hit a boatload of scriptures that are going to debunk a lot of these things that this guy is saying. This is John 15 and 2. So, you know, it's hard to really understand what side of things this guy is on because I do believe that if you are saved, what the Bible says, he that began a great work in you will finish it. That's in uh, Philippians 2, I believe, But if he or 4. He began a great work in you, he will finish it, okay? But you still have to yield to the Lord. Your free will is fully involved in this all the time, all right? To will yourself or yield to the Lord. All right, so uh, John 15 and 2. It says, every branch in me that beareth not the fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth uh, more fruit. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch, and is withered, and men gather them, and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. I have heard some preachers say this scripture refers to 
premature death. However, I know plenty of believers who don't go soul winning and don't seem to care and are living uh, selfish lives. They should all be dead if that's uh, what John 15 and 2 and 6 mean, uh, but they're not. Clearly, the scripture means something different. Otherwise, Christians would uh, be nearly extinct. All right, quick point here. He's talking about people that um, don't believe this is true. But he said, you know, a lot of Christians that don't, um, who are believers, that don't go soul winning or seem to care, then they're not Christians. Okay, now I'm going to be realistic and say that if you're someone that is trying to learn the ways of Christ and you're being built up, your obedience is being fulfilled, that's one thing. But if you're apathetic and just still, not influencing, not doing the will of God in any way whatsoever, then you can't be a Christian. He said if you're hot or cold or lukewarm, he'll spew you out of his mouth. Mm -hmm. Okay, so I'm not saying we won't have our moments of, you know, being slow about things and being built up. But this guy is saying he knows plenty and they should all be dead. That's not what he's talking about here. He's speaking of at the end of time. If they don't bring forth fruit or they're not aboding in the Lord, this goes with the parable of the wheat and the tares. That is all that this is talking about. This isn't talking about, huh? What's that verse that says, uh, many will come to me saying, Lord, Lord? Uh, Matthew 7 and 21. Uh, doesn't it say that, um, but that uh, only the ones that will be saved will be the ones who do the will, do of, my the will of my Father? Mm -hmm. Exactly. So doing the will of the Father is conditional. All right. If you don't do the will of God, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. So what part of one saved always saved? I don't know. But he's saying that he knows Christians that don't do the will of God, but they should be gone by now. So that is proof to him that, you know, uh, Matthew 15, 2 and 6 is talking about that you um, will be thrown and burned in the fire or whatever if you don't bring forth fruit. This is talking about the parable of the tares. Okay, that's, that's what this is equivalent to, saying that you have tares and you have wheat that will grow together at the end of time, because the Bible makes clear about the harvest. When the harvest comes, when Jesus is coming to gather everything together, if you have not, you know, brought forth any fruit, you know, confirming that you're a Christian, mm -hmm. then, you know, I mean, he's going to take the tares and throw them away, because they're useless to the kingdom of God. So, but that's, that's speaking of the end of time, okay? You got time to get perfected, like the Bible says, when your obedience is fulfilled and you do the will of the Lord, okay? So this guy, again, now he knows Christians that are not doing the will of God, you know, but they're Christians. So this is the argument he's making against being thrown in the fire, you know, if you're unproductive. So, you know, again, we've got to yield to the Spirit of God and not get caught up in this. Uh, he says, notice that John 15 and 6 says, as a branch, Jesus was liking a fruitfulness, a fruitless uh, believers uh, to do fruit to a fruitless tree. Most believers today are unproductive. <laughs> Jesus told the parable of the seeds in Luke 8, 5 through 15. There is no mention of premature death for believers who fail to go soul winning. No one's denying that. We've all been in a place where we've been stagnant, not doing things for the Lord, and the Lord is slowly, you know, getting us built up to do the work ourselves. 
All right, Jesus spoke of selfish believers who are choked by the cares and riches of this life, Luke 8 and 14, and never win anyone to Christ. Other um, Others are immature, having no roots, and are easily discouraged and quit. 1 Corinthians 3 and 15 teaches that some believers will receive nothing at the judgment seat of Christ. Uh, he said that you'll be judged according to your reward. So let's go to 1 Corinthians 3 and 15 and find out if this guy is telling the truth. Because I haven't had this one memorized. First Corinthians 3 and 15. If a man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. Yet so as by fire. Know ye not that ye are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you. Okay. If I, let's go to 14. If a man's work... Um, abide uh, which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. But if uh, but if a man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss. But he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. Because what I'm thinking of, yet so as by fire, kind of means like, you know, <laughs> your judgment. Because he's saying there'll be no reward for you, but it's just, why would Paul even say then, that I have fought the good fight, I have finished the course, I have kept the faith. He said that we have to make our calling and our election sure. So if we didn't have to do that, then what would it be about getting in? He says that them that do not do the will of God, let's go to Matthew 7, let's just prove that real quick. Because I think he's missing that one. All right, Matthew 7 and 13. We'll start there. Okay, and it says, Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat. Because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. Ye shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth corrupt fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, Neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. So if every tree that bringeth forth good fruit that, that doesn't bring forth any is hewn down and cast into the fire, that may actually parallel with what this guy is saying, being saved but by fire. Because that doesn't sound like a good thing. It sounds like being brought to the second death. But look at this. Um, wherefore, by their fruits you shall know them. 
Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name have done many wonderful works? And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. So that tells you there, you can't be saved by your works. You know, you have to be changed and transformed in Christ. But it's also saying here that if you don't do the will of the Father, he said that any tree that doesn't bring forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. So how can this God believe that if you're not out winning a soul or bringing others to Christ, that you are delivered, but you'll make it to heaven, but there'll be no reward for you? I think they're talking about by that fire or saved but by fire. I think that means what's being saved for you is the fire. I mean, that's the point that I'm thinking it makes to me here. Because why would he say about the fruit being brought forth and then nothing? You know, I mean, and, and so Jesus is saying you don't have to bring forth. I mean, you have to bring forth good fruit. If you don't, you're thrown in the fire. He's saying that whether you bring forth good fruit or not, you know, you will be saved. There'll be no reward, but you'll be saved by fire. That doesn't, to me, it sounds like what Jesus is saying is what Paul was saying. He said, you'll be saved, but by fire. But go ahead. You want to make a point? Yeah, I was going to say that in Second or First Corinthians 3, I think if we actually started at verse 10, it actually makes a little bit more sense. Read it. Okay. Verse 9. So it's 1 Corinthians 3 and 9. For we are laborers together with God. If you are God's husbandry, ye are God's building. According to the grace of God, which is given unto me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, and another buildeth therein. But let every man take heed how he buildeth thereupon. For other foundation can no man lay than that than, than that is laid, which is in Christ Jesus. Christ Jesus. Now, if any man built upon this foundation gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest. For the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and shall and the fire shall try every man's work of what. Oh, okay, yeah, right. So, if any man work abide with he. Um, uh, which he hath uh, built thereupon, he shall receive the reward. But if any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. See, so it's saying, though, but it's still talking about... You're not talking about building yourself up? Right, but it's like, you know, you'll be tried by fire. That's mm -hmm. what they're saying, you know, to, to your reward. But yet so as by fire. Know ye not that ye are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you? If any man defile the temple of God, uh, him shall God destroy, for the temple of God is holy, which temple ye are. Mm -hmm. So that tells you right there, this is not defending, but he's taking this out of context, looking for something that, that'll say that a Christian doesn't have to do the work, right. but believe and still be saved. And that's not true. Exactly. All right. Yeah, that's why it pays to go back and read. But this guy's deceiving multitudes of people. Mm -hmm. All right. Um, 
incident, whether it be good or bad. So that's the argument he made. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body, according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. There was nothing to indicate that John 5, 1 and 7 are speaking about losing salvation. Clearly, so what does God destroy mean? I guess that means you make it in with no reward. Ridiculous. Clearly, these scriptures are speaking about believers who fail to abide in Christ and are thus rendered useless for God. The key of the Christian life is abiding in Christ by abiding in the word of God. Believers with an honest and good heart will obey the scriptures by sharing the gospel uh, with the lost. Carnal believers who do not uh, will be judged at the judgment seat of Christ. Everyone, no, believers are coming before the judgment seat of Christ. The sinner is going before the great white throne of judgment. Mm -hmm. Those are two different seats that they'll be sitting in front of because, you know, he must not know this. But the judgment seat of Christ is for the believer. Okay, what your rewards will be, you know, and whatever. But it'll still be terrifying. Okay, but, you know, for the unbeliever, they go before the judgments. I mean, the um, great white throne of judgment. So, again, this guy's taking stuff out of context. To be honest with you, I don't even want to read any more of this because he doesn't even really understand a whole lot of stuff concerning salvation. So, we're going to stick with what we have and move forward, but... This is how little twists and turns can happen with a person. They can, you know, emotionally feel one way about the truth. And then they mix it up. Because he just said that church is full of church people and not Christians. But then he's saying that a Christian can do nothing and be a Christian. When it's convenient for him to make a point. And that's ridiculous. But anyway, let's move on. Uh, let's go to Matthew... Uh, 13 and 18. No, 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 no. Um, let's go to Romans 11 and 19. We just checking to make sure we were paying attention. No. Because the scriptures I have, I mean, he's supporting things that he can't even find truth in. No. The scriptures I have don't even have most of that stuff in it. So let's see him debunk these. Romans 13 and 19? 11 and 19. Yeah. I know, I'm all over the place. Okay, so it says, Thou wilt say then, the branches were broken off, that I might be grafted in. Well, because of unbelief, uh, they were broken off, and thou standest by faith. Be not high-minded, but fear. Uh, for if God spared not the natural branches, take heed, lest he also spare not thee. Behold, therefore, the goodness and uh, severity of God on them which fell, severity but toward thee. Goodness, if thou continue in his goodness, otherwise thou also shall be cut off. And they also, if they abide not, still in unbelief, shall be grafted in. For God is able to graft them in again. So in other words, if they come to the truth, he's able to graft them in again. You know, if they fall away and come back. But it tells you here that if you, in verse 22, Behold, therefore, the goodness and severity of God on, on them 
which fell, severity but good thee but toward thee, goodness if thou continue in his goodness, otherwise thou also shall be cut off. This is telling you here that you have to continue in the goodness of God. Now, you know, you can be cut off, but if you are one that, you know, you come back to the Lord, or you are for real, depending on how far, what, you know, along you are in this, the Lord, will he's able to bring you back in. But you have to continue in his good. That's the part that I'm trying to make up. You have to continue in goodness. You can't just do a good act, be baptized, you know, and someone tells you you're saved, and then you just go live like you want. You have to strive to be right with the Lord, you know, yielding to the Holy Ghost. The Bible says, without holiness, no man shall see the Lord. And I mean, you know, God means that. He means what he says. Uh, let's go to Acts 20 and 17. Oh, 20 and 13. Acts 20 and 13. There's nothing in this world, though, that runs that way. And that's something people got to understand. Even if you were to look at the world, if I have a job and I stop coming to work and I decide to come back, you think I still got one? I mean, you know, seriously. I mean, think about it. Nothing works that way. If I drop out of school, will they still give me my diploma? Will I still have my degree? So where people get the big misunderstanding of, of you know, I mean, now God's love, of course, you know, God loves us. But again, it's not his love for us that's the issue. It's our love towards him, his conditions and things that he wants. All right, um, 20 and 13, Acts 20 and 13. And we went before uh, to ship and sailed to Assos, there attending to take in Paul. For so had he appointed, minding himself to go afoot. And when he met uh, with us at Assos, he took him up, or we took him up, and came to uh, Mytilene. I guess that's it, Mytilene. And he sailed thence and came the next day over against Chios. And the next day we arrived in Samos and tarried at Trogilium. I think that's it. And the, day, <laughs> and the next day we came to Miletus. For Paul had determined to sail by Ephesus because he would not spend the time in Asia, for he hasted, if it were possible uh, for him, to be at Jerusalem the day of Pentecost. And from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church. And when they were come, um, come to him, he said unto them, Ye know from the first day that I came into Asia, after what manner I have been with you at all seasons, serving the Lord with all humility of mind and with many tears and temptations which befall me uh, by the lying and weight uh, of the Jews, and how I kept back nothing uh, that was profitable unto you, but have shewn you and have taught you publicly and from house to house, testifying both to the Jews and also the Greeks repentance towards God and faith towards the Lord Jesus Christ. And now behold, I go uh, bound in the spirit unto Jerusalem, not knowing the things that shall befall me there, 
save that the Holy Ghost witnesseth in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions abide me. But none of these things move me, neither count I my life dear unto me, so that I might finish my course with joy. And the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel and the grace of God. And now behold, I know that ye all among you, I have gone preaching of the kingdom of God, shall see my face no more. So the point I wanted to make here was, Paul was talking about finishing his course. Okay, you can't finish the course if you're not in a race. All right, and that includes even a Christian. An unbeliever, you can count them out because they're not in the race to begin with. The moment you accept Jesus Christ and come forward in Christ, you have a race to run. You have a course to finish, to be able to get in. Okay, so where they get the idea of once saved, always saved, I don't know. But a lot of big time preachers are preaching this. Um, let's go to 2 Timothy um, 4. I know we read that all the time, but I want to make that point for this. Well, they say in the end times, there's not going to be a God in the churches. I believe it. There's almost no God in the churches now. (laughs) Yeah. Yep. All right. 2 Timothy 4 and 1. I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing uh, and his kingdom. Preach the word, be instant in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. And they shall turn away their ears from the truth, and shall be turned unto fables. But watch thou in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, make full proof of thy ministry. So you have to make full proof of your ministry. For I am now ready to uh, be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. This is Paul dying in prison. I have fought a good fight, I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, uh, the righteous judge, shall give me at the day, and not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. Uh, Do thy diligence uh, and come shortly unto me. So he's telling them that there is work to be done. Okay, just because a person says they believe, that's not enough. You have to believe. First Timothy four one. We're right here. Now this guy even explained this that they were talking about unbelievers. This is what this guy from Jesus the Savior said that First Timothy four one is talking about an unbeliever. So let's see. Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. What do you guys think of that? I don't think that's a... Well, I think they're deceived. I don't think you can be an unbeliever if you are departing from the faith. How do you depart from something you were never in? There you go. They just aren't strong. Exactly. It says, Speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron, 
So that tells you there that, you know, you can go off course as a believer and continue to go that way. Why would Paul say rebuke, exhort, and correct? He wants you to have correction so that way you won't fall away. Mm -hmm. Why would you need to correct a Christian, all right, because you don't, you don't correct unbelievers. You bring unbelievers unto salvation by telling them about Jesus Christ. You correct and you rebuke and you exhort the brethren, the, be the believer, to stay in the faith. All right. Um, anyone has anything else to add before we move on? Okay. Uh, let's go to... Second Timothy two. Uh, not second second Timothy, sorry guys, second Peter. This guy's got me so fired up I can't even remember what second I'm saying. Timothy two has some good verses too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, read them. <laughs> uh, let's see here. Um 8 through 13, 2 Timothy 2, 8 through 13. Right. Remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead according to my gospel, where, wherein I suffer trouble as, a, as an evildoer, even unto bonds, but the word of God is not bound. Therefore I endure all things for the elect's sake, that they may also obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. It is a faithful saying, for if we be dead with him, we shall also live with him. If we suffer, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he shall also deny us. If we believe him not, yet he abideth, uh, abideth faithful, he can de not deny himself. Exactly. You know, there's another point there. All right. Um, 2 Peter 2 and 20. Or 19. This is Peter talking about those who were in the world and, you know, uh, all the deception and things that we would have to deal with. Let's go to 18. And it says, For when they speak great swelling words of vanity, they allure through the lust of the flesh, through much wantonness, those that were clean escaped from them uh, who live in error. While they promised them liberty, they themselves are the servants of corruption, for of whom a man is overcome of the same, is he brought into bondage, or in bondage. For if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world, through the knowledge of the Lord uh, and Savior, Jesus Christ, they are again entangled therein, and overcome, uh, the latter end is worse uh, with them than the beginning, for if uh, for it had been uh, better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than after they have known it, to turn from the holy commandment delivered unto them. But uh, it has happened unto them, according to a true proverb, the dog is turned to his own vomit again, and the sow, and the sow like a pig uh, that was washed uh, to her, allowing wallowing in the mire so i mean that tells you there that we're not supposed to turn back that he's saying that even if you did escape the pollutions of this world 
that it is up to your will to turn back and do those things. So there's not like once you're in and you, you've escaped that you're just there. It still takes your will to stay in the faith. All right. Um, since we're here, Second Peter 3 and 14. And I'm not going to say, maybe I spoke out of turn because I can feel the Lord telling me, that someone that doesn't do the will of the Lord is not a Christian. I mean, there are Bible verses that say this, but if a person is new in Christ or they're trying to get it going with Christ, the Lord can actually build them up to where they do the things of the Lord. Mm -hmm. Okay, so I didn't want to speak in term like I'm just ridiculing anyone, but, you know, we've all had our moments of doubt or things not be right. But I do believe by the end of time, a true Christian is going to do the will of God. Because if we're called to be Christians, and Jesus says only them that do the will of the Lord shall inherit the kingdom, then you know that those who don't won't. All right, so um, what did I say? 3 and 14. All right. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that ye look for such things, be diligent that ye may be found in him in peace, of him in peace, without spot and blame, and blameless, uh, an account that the long suffering of our Lord is salvation, even as our beloved brother Paul, also according to the wisdom given unto him, hath written unto you, as also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to be understood, which they have, which they that are unlearned and unstable rest as they do also in other scriptures uh, unto their own destruction. So, you know, back to 15, the, the quick point is um, long, long suffering unto salvation. You know, that's, that's long suffering of the Lord is salvation. Mm -hmm. It doesn't say anything about believing in your faith, just being saved, and that's it. You have to continue to believe. Right. There's going to be trial. There's going to be tribulation. There's a lot of stuff we've got to endure. Yeah, we might get knocked down, but we get back up and do the things that the Lord calls us to do. But he's saying being presented without spot and blameless, meaning that it's possible, not in our effort, but in the spirit of God. Exactly. That's who's bringing forth those things. Because if he's saying that, you know, we're just going to fall and do this and do that, then basically you're calling the Bible a liar because the Bible says that he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins if we confess him and to be cleansed from all unrighteousness. It didn't say some. It didn't say most. It didn't say just the ones that, you know, you think that you can handle. He said all unrighteousness. So that tells us there that these things can be conquered in Christ. But this once saved, always saved doctrine has led lots of people to hell. Because they believe that once I had, you know, read a sinner's prayer, you know, and I said the sinner's prayer, and I got baptized, that no matter what, God will always be with me. And you know what? Let's just say once saved, always saved was true. Look at the spirit that once saved, always saved brings. Look at how people become extremely lazy mm -hmm. because they feel like I've got mine, get yours. I don't care what happens. I'm going to heaven anyway. They will even see people do things wrong. And then they'll say, well, I'm glad I'm not like him. I can't wait for the Lord to come. 
So you're not even someone trying to do the will of God. You're looking for your own way out, not even wanting to fix what's wrong here. It also brings about hypocrisy. And Absolutely. A lot of other things. You know, we've all been there. But I like also in verse 16 where it talked about because they were unable to understand them, you know, uh, they turned the, 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 it into their own dis destruction. And that's what he did with yeah. that other scripture. All right, um, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Like I said, how could your name be blotted out of the book? If it was never in there. You know, there's so many arguments. I hope this guy messages me. Because there's stuff that I want to show him. Explain all these scriptures. This time correctly. Alright, 1 Thessalonians 2 and verse 1. I'm 2 Thessalonians, sorry. 2 and verse 1. Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto him, that ye be not so soon, I mean, not soon shaken in mind, or be troubled, neither by spirit, nor by word, nor by letter, as from us, uh, as that the day of Christ is at hand. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come, except there come a falling away first. That word for falling away is apostasia. That's where you get the word apostasy. And that man of sin uh, be revealed, the son of perdition. So they're talking about the Antichrist here. Again, there can't be a falling away if you're once saved, always saved. Because if you're once saved, always saved, you can't fall. Right. That's pretty much what they're telling you. It's impossible for you to fall. If you hearken unto the Holy Ghost and you let the Holy Ghost work with you, I totally believe that eventually you will not be able to fall. I believe that because the Bible says that. Mm -hmm. But void of that, if you just want to say once saved, always saved, that's impossible. That cannot be. So he's saying there'll be a great falling away. Verse 4. Who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God, or that he worshipeth, uh, so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Remember ye not that when I was with you, I told you these things, and now ye know what withholdeth that he might be revealed in his time. For the mystery of iniquity doth already work. Uh, only he who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. And then shall that wicked, notice his capital W, so they're talking about the Antichrist, uh, be revealed whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth, and shall destroy him, destroy with the brightness of his coming. Even him whose coming is after the workings of Satan, with all power and signs and lying wonders, and with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish, because they receive not the love of the truth, that they might be saved. Uh, for this cause God shall send them strong delusion, that they should believe a lie, that they might that they all might be damned who believe not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Now he may say this is all about an unbeliever, but they started with those that were in the faith that strayed away from the faith. Mm -hmm. Now what can stray you away from the faith? 
That's one. Deception. Two. But, you know, huh? Well, delusions or believing. uh, False doctrine. False doctrine. Those things can actually stray you from the faith. Mm -hmm. So, you know, this can already happen. The Lord will send them strong delusion because I'm sure I'm not the only one. There are many people trying to tell this God, man, you are not once saved, always saved. You have to endure unto the end. But this guy will say, you know, no. And he gives you his little points out of context. So eventually God will send you strong delusion that you will believe this lie because you don't want the truth. So this is why this guy is sitting here arguing, fighting for something that it clearly doesn't say. So these are things why you want to be in the truth and understand this. Uh, Revelation. Is that a spirit of Antichrist? What's that? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it can consume you if you let it. You know, uh, Revelation uh, 2. I didn't forget about your thing. I did for a while. <laughs> and then I was like, oh, man. I, I was sitting here thinking about it. I'm I was like, asking you. It's okay. <laughs> no, Christina's got something. I'm sorry. This guy got me so fired up. I'm like. Revelation 2. We're going to go through the seven churches to prove this point. The seven churches speaks against one saved, always saved. All right. So it says, Unto the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. Now, one thing about Revelation, this is a bit off the subject, but you'll find sevens all through it, which is God's number of completion we talked about last week. But you can count, I mean, it's almost like a limitless amount of sevens in the book of Revelation. All right. Uh, I know thy works and thy labor and thy patience and how thou canst not bear them which are evil and thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not and have found them liars and have borne and has and have patience, and for my name's sake have labored and have not fainted. So this church is doing all this stuff right. They're spotting what's false. They're doing all the things that are correct. And then it says, Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Remember therefore from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the works, and do the first works, or else I will come unto thee quickly. And will remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. So understand this. This church is doing everything right, except that they forgot their relationship with Jesus Christ. It is possible to be so religious that you go back and forth to church. You may be teaching kids in school and doing all this stuff, but you've made no time for God. Now, what did, what did the Lord say here? Repent and, and, and get it right. He didn't say continue in your works. Or, you know, you are doing some work, so I'll forgive that, and that's okay. And then you can come before my throne with no reward and be saved. He said, repent. And now they were doing so many things right, but they forgot about Jesus. Okay, so he's saying repent. All right. Um, except he removed their candlestick, um, except they'll repent. Verse 6. But this thou hast... Uh, that thou hatest the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. So they hate the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. The doctrine of the Nicolaitans is like, you know, it means conqueror of the people. You find this a lot in false churches. You find this in Catholicism. 
you know, people appended to personalities. You know, he's saying that he hates them because he hates the, the doctrine because I am the clergy and you are the laity. The Lord hates that with a passion. Why? Because we're the body of Christ. But those people look down on people. You see in Catholicism, they got the little boy walking around with the cross and the Pope comes up, he's holier, people kissing his ring. The Lord hates that. Jesus never made anybody do that. People might have gone down to worship him and kiss his hand, but he didn't tell them to do that. And then he's God anyways. Okay, but Jesus washed the feet of people. Jesus came humble, you know, lowly as a servant to help lift people up to come to Christ. I mean, to come to, you know, the Father. So it's a proud look or it's pride. It's pride. That's the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. I'm holy and you're my little peon. Mm -hmm. All right, verse 7. He that have an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. So that tells you there, you've got to overcome to be able to make it into the kingdom of God. All right. Um, and, unto the, and unto the angel of the church of Smyrna write, these things saith the first and the last, that's Jesus, which was dead and is alive, that's Jesus. I know thy works, and tribulation and poverty, but thou art rich. And I know the, the blasphemy of them that say they are Jews and are not, but are of the synagogue of Satan. Fear none of those things which thou uh, shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison, that ye may be tried, and uh, ye shall have tribulation ten days. Be thou faithful unto death. Be thou faithful unto death. And I will give thee a crown of life. He that have an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. He that overcometh shall not be hurt of the second death. You've got to overcome. You can't just say you believe and let that be it. You've right. got to be an overcomer. That's where the rewards are offered. All right, verse 12. And unto the angel of the church of Pergamos write, These things saith he, which hath a, a sharp sword with two edges. That's Jesus. I know thy works, and where thou dwellest, even where Satan's seat is, and thou holdest fast my name, and hast not denied my faith. Even in those days wherein Antipas was my faithful martyr who was slain among you where Satan dwelleth. Okay, so that tells you there, you know, a um, little quick point. Um, this is the church of Pergamos. They're talking about um, Satan's seat. If you go to where Pergamon is today, the Nazis actually took um, the altar of Zeus from Pergamon and then put it in the um, Berlin Museum. Um, so, Zeus is none other than Satan, okay? That's Satan's seat. So people try and push you away from um, mythology, but those people that worship these gods were worshiping real entities, which was Satan and his angels, yep. okay? But they tell you, oh, that's all mythical. All right, verse 14. But I have a few things against thee, because thou uh, hast there them that hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel, 
to eat things sacrificed unto idols and to commit fornication, so hast thou also them that hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, uh, which, which thing I hate. So, okay, they had the doc doctrine of the Nicolaitans. They considered themselves the clergy, and they had the laity before them. But then you have where he said uh, Balak, or Balaam told Balak. Quick point, uh, Balak was a Philistine. Ahead of the Philistines, I think, they were fighting against the children of Israel. You know, no one could conquer Israel because Israel followed the Lord's laws, statutes, and commandments. Okay, Balak told Balaam, if you want to beat the children of Israel, get these beautiful Moab women and bring them into the town, you know, and that's where great disobedience arose because the children of Israel were not following the Lord and they were able to be overtaken. All right, so this is what he's talking about. Then it says, uh, verse 16, repent or else. I will come unto thee quickly and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. He that have an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the hidden manna and will give him a white stone and in the stone a new name written, which no man knoweth, saving he that receiveth it. The white stone is kind of like what you would have... Um, what they would give in the Olympic Games or whatever. You know, you win, you do things, you overcome. You get a little trophy like a plaque with your name on it, the white stone. So it symbolizes purity and like victory. But he said to him that overcome. Uh, and unto the angel of the church of Thyatira, write these things, saith the Son of God, who hath his eyes unto a flame of fire, and his feet are like fine brass. That's Jesus. I know thy works and thy charity and service and faith and thy patience and thy works and the last to be more than the first. Notwithstanding, I have a few things against thee because thou sufferest that woman Jezebel who calleth herself a prophetess to teach and to seduce my servants to commit fornication and to eat things sacrificed to idols. And I gave her space to repent of her fornication and she repented not. So this church had everything right as far as the order. They had patience. They had faith. They were doing all the right things, but they, the order was wrong. They had Jezebel in there as the pastor, which was teaching people things, you know, um, that, that, you know, it wasn't right. right. So that's the Jezebelian doctrine that this church had. Uh, and I gave her space to repent of her fornication, and she repented not. Behold, I will cast her into a bed, and them that commit fornication, I mean, um, adultery with her into great tribulation, except they repent of their deeds. And I will kill her children with death and with the churches. I mean, and all the churches shall know that I am he which searcheth the reins um, and hearts. And I will give unto every one of you according to your works. So you will get according to your works. Don't tell me that you can be a Christian and not do anything and you're going to sit before the throne of God and be saved. Right. You will get that just recompense of your works. All right, so verse 24. Uh, and, unto, and unto you I say, and unto the rest in Thyatira, as many as have not this doctrine and which have not known the depths of Satan as they speak, 
I will put upon you none other burden. So you see, you have to even know the depths of Satan. He can play you in false um, doctrine, making you think the whole time you're in the truth and you're in lies. All it takes to do, pick up your Bible and read it. Mm -hmm. Verse 25, but that which I have already held of fast till I come, and he that overcometh uh, and keepeth my works unto the end, to him will I give power over the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron. So they will be given to Jesus, those, those that overcome, okay, with a rod of iron, as the vessels of a potter, shall they be broken to shivers, even as I receive of my Father. And I will give him the, a morning star. He that have an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Now he's speaking to Christians, obviously, because they're in churches. You know, so this ought to tell you that there is work for us to do. Uh, quick point Ryan brought up last week. I want to get that one real quick. Um, let's go to verse 13. He that have an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. This is 3 and 13. And unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things saith uh, the Amen the faithful and true witness and beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would that thou wert cold or hot. So then, because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth, because thou, hast, because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods, and have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire, and thou mayest be rich, and white raiment, uh, that thou mayest be clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness um, do not appear, and anoint thine eyes with eyeself, uh, that thou mayest see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Okay, so that tells you there what the Lord is saying. Mm -hmm. uh, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come in to him and will sup with him and, and he with me. To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, uh, even as I also overcame and am set down with the Father at, in his throne. So that tells you there, we've got work to do. Okay? You can't just say you believe and do absolutely nothing. We have to be overcomers. Right. So I shouldn't even have to go into anything else to really show that in order to overcome, those, it is them that will be saved. Jesus said in Matthew 24, to him that overcome. I mean, don't know. To he that endureth unto the end, the same shall be saved. You have to endure unto the end. So once saved, always saved. You know, it's a false doctrine. So I'll just bring up a couple of quick points, and I'll give Christina the floor. But it's good to bring these up because you got so many, like, like you've already said before, so many false prophets are teaching once saved, always saved. 
And then not only are they teaching it on TV, but then you have so many people in regular everyday church mm-hmm. preaching once they always say, and they're leading the unless the unless the individual breaks out of that mindset and says, you know, this really doesn't make any sense. This mm-hmm. stuff really doesn't sound right. I mean, how many people are going to go to hell believing this? Exactly. Okay. Um, let's go to Galatians six and six. But man, I wish you could make Tuesday night study. That's going to be something. I always listen to them. Oh, I know. <laughs> I'm sure you're one of those views that's there. <laughs> Thursday morning. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, that's cool. So Galatians 6 and 6 says, Let him that is taught of the word communicate unto him that teacheth in all good things. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For uh, he that soweth uh, to his flesh uh, shall of the flesh reap corruption. But he that soweth uh, to the spirit shall of the spirit reap a life everlasting. Let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. If we faint not. You will reap if you faint not. Mm-hmm. It's that clear, that it's a continuous work. We're not saved through works. We are saved through faith. Okay, so let's go to James 2. Because every time you bring up the point of, you know, um, that we have to do a work for the Lord, they'll always throw you back to salvation. No one's saying anything about salvation. You are saved through faith. Okay? But if you have faith, you will have good works, as we're about to read here. Right. All right, Um, we'll start at verse 16, James 2 and 16. Matter of fact, let's start at uh, 12. All right, so it says, So ye speak and so do, uh, as they that shall be judged by the law of liberty. So you'll be judged by the law of liberty. For he shall have judgment without mercy, that hath whom that have shown no mercy, and mercy rejoiceth against judgment. What doth it profit, my brethren, though a man say he hath faith, and have not works? Can faith save him? If a brother or a sister be naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you say unto him, unto them. Depart in peace, be ye warmed and filled, notwithstanding ye give them uh, not those things which are needful to the body, uh, what doeth what doth it profit? Even so faith, if it hath not works, is dead being alone. Yea, a man may say, Thou hast faith, and I have works, shew me thy faith without my works, 
and I will shew thee my faith by my works. Thou believest that there is one God, uh, thou doest well, and uh, devils also believe and tremble. So, you know, just being a believer isn't enough. The devil believes and trembles. That's saying nothing. Right. Uh, but wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? Why, why not? <laughs> was not Abraham our father justified by works uh, when he had offered Isaac his son upon the altar? See if thou have faith uh, wrought with his works, and by works was faith made perfect. And the scripture was fulfilled with saying, I mean, which saith, Abraham believed God, and it was imputed unto him for righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. Ye see that, we see then that, well, I cannot read today. Ye see then how that by works a man is justified, and, and not by faith only. Likewise also was not Rahab the harlot justified by works, uh, when she said, received when she had received the messengers and had sent them out another way. For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. Mm -hmm. So that tells you there that along with faith, you have to have works. Okay, works don't save you, but faith doesn't either. That's why he said, can faith alone save thee? Because along with faith, so you can't put the cart before the horse. You have to first believe and upon that belief and faith, that good works will follow. Okay, because the Jehovah Witnesses believe you work your way to salvation. But they don't, they got, they're in the wrong faith. Okay, they're not believing in the right thing. Uh, Matthew 11, and I'm going to turn it over to Christina. No, whoa, James 1, James 1, sorry. All right, James 1 and 22. But be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. Mm -hmm. For if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is likened to a man beholding his natural face in a glass. For he beholdeth himself and goeth his way and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. Okay, but whoso uh, looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. So that tells you there that you have to be, it says, be not deceived, which means your faith is not enough. You know, you have to be a doer. All right, Matthew 11, and then Christina has the floor, then Sarah has something to present, and then we should close out. I have tons of scriptures here to try and go against, I mean, not to go against, to prove that once saved, always saved, and unconditional eternal security is a lie from the pits of hell. But isn't it true, though, that many churches these days are leaving out one very important thing, that if you come to Christ, if you are truly saved, it's not really, I mean, yes, it is works, but it won't be looked at as works. It's something that you will actually want. It's to in do. your nature. Right. You are so being transformed into the nature of God. All right, and it says, uh, verse 1, and somebody remind me of Romans 8 when you guys are done. Okay. All right, 
And it came to pass when Jesus had made an end of commanding his 12 disciples, he departed thence to teach and to preach in their cities. Now when John had heard in the prison the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and said unto him, Art thou he that should come, or do we look for another? Jesus answered and said unto them, Go and shew John again those things which ye do hear and see. The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he whosoever shall not be offended in me. And as they departed, Jesus began to say unto the uh, multitude, multitudes concerning John, What went ye out unto the wilderness to see? A reed shaken with the wind? So he's saying, and you guys came to see a little twig blowing around in the wind? Because everybody thought John was kind of rough. Well, he's saying, you know, because these people are into their sweet, loving, sensual, you know. So he said, what did you come to see when you thought of John? A reed shaken in the wind? Uh, but what went ye out for to see? A man clothed in soft raiment? Behold, they that wear soft raiment, rain, I mean soft clothing, are in king's houses. So they're in the palaces, you know, the soft men. But what went ye out for to see? A prophet? Yea, I say unto you, and more than a prophet. For this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare thy way before thee. Verily I say unto you, among them that are born of women, there have not risen a greater than John the Baptist, notwithstanding he that is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. And from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffereth violence, and the violent take it by force. For all the prophets of the Lord prophesied until John, and if ye be received it, and if you will receive it, this is Elijah, uh, which was afore to come. He that hath an ear, let him hear. So that tells you there, he have ears to hear, let him hear. So the kingdom of heaven suffereth violence, but the violent take it by force. Now it doesn't mean that you be violent in nature. It means you have to fight your way into the kingdom. So how could you be once saved, always saved, if you have to take the kingdom through not violence, but fighting your way in? Mm -hmm. Meaning, you know, every day I might fall, I may do this. I'm striving to get right. You've got to fight for the faith to get in. So how could you possibly be once saved, always saved? Because if you lose the fight, where do you think you're going to go? Exactly. You know, so it, it's always with your will engaged. All right, so from here, I'm going to let Christina present what she has. Sarah's going to present after that. And then um, I'll conclude it with Romans 8. Also, God's voice often is... Um a strong voice is not a soft voice. No. He's trying to correct or guide you to something. The Bible says he has a voice like a roaring sea. Now that doesn't sound like a weak person to me speaking. Alright. So I was just going to present um, our last time I was here last Sunday we talked about Elijah and um, Derek kind of got into some of the numbers and their meanings. So um, I kind of did some digging deeper into that and 
just wanted to share uh, a lot of the numbers that I found and then I actually want to get dive deep into one specific number <laughs> uh, but I'll just start with one first so one is supposed to be the meaning of like unity like the Bible there's one Bible one kingdom of God um, God and Jesus are one so there's two Two means like a union, an agreement, um, man plus woman in Genesis 2, 23 through 24, or God and man, um, unity, which is 1 Corinthians um, 12. And then there's three, which means the rebirth or completeness. Um, there's a lot of completeness numbers. This is the lesser degree of all the completeness one, the smallest one. And then there's four creation, the physical creation, the fourth day universe um, was created in Genesis 1, 14 through 19. Also, there's four seasons. Um, so that's kind of like the physical creation. Five, there's grace of God, God's grace upon us, his favor upon humans. Um, so the Ten Commandments, the first five is your relationship with God. The second five is relationship with others, so humans, um, which we've also talked about if you follow that. If you love um, God and then love others as your neighbor, then you follow all the commandments. Um, six is Satan's number. It's human's weakness. Um, it's sin. Um, this is when man was created. So that's what the number six is meaning. Seven is a per number of meaning perfection. Um, it's physical and spiritual. Foundation of God's word. It's tied to God's creation. Um, eight, new beginning or order. There is the... So born again could be another one. Um, circumcision of the heart by Christ and receiving the Holy Spirit in 2 Corinthians 5, um, 17. Although it's, it also is talked about in Ephesians 2 and 10. Um, 9, divine completeness. So um, that's where Christ died on the ninth hour, 3 p.m. So it's another one of those numbers of completeness. Or not completeness, sorry. Um, 10 is a perfect number. So 3, 7, and 10 are perfect numbers. Also 12 is a perfect number, power of authority and completeness as a whole. Um, 13 is rebellion and law, lawlessness. Mm -hmm. So 13 governments created by men. Um, this is inspired by Satan. There's 15, which is like the day of rest, um, comes after deliverance. 17 is another number of completeness. Yeah, victory, overcoming the enemy. Um, then let's go. My biggest one I really wanted to talk. Oh, 21 too is big. It's great um, wickedness in rebellion. The one thing that stood out to me at that, that is the 21st century. The devil is like loosed um, out of his prison to reign on earth. Um, okay, so let's go to... Oh, 13 also, dedication to a particular task or calling, mental mental and physical um, maturity, Luke 3.23. Um, this is when also Christ began to publicly preach. So that's kind of big too, like kind of when you're 30 years old, you become more mentally mature when you get to that point. 40 is um, a testing and trial um, period, 40 days in the wilderness, 40 days fasting, night and days. And then 42 
um, is a coming of Antichrist. So mm-hmm. 42 months in the um, end times, Revelation 11, 1 through 2. And then this is kind of what I wanted to read a little bit about. So let's go to Revelation um, 12, 1. And I mean, let the people know we're not talking numerology because a lot of people will, you know, put their spin on things mm-hmm. and think that, you know, Christians shouldn't know what numbers are. When the Bible even says in um, Revelation 13, let he that has wisdom count the number of the beast. Mm-hmm. Solomon even talks about in Ecclesiastes about counting, mm-hmm. that, you know, through counting comes knowledge and wisdom. So, you know, I just wanted to make that yeah. clear because a lot of people will say, oh, that's numerology. Mm-hmm. Why are the numbers so prominent in yeah. the Bible if we're not supposed to follow it? What's mm-hmm. the difference? I mean, my mother was in numerology. I'm sure God wasn't in it. Well, yeah, numerology. So I'm familiar with a lot of this. Right. And um, having her come on me with what number she perceived me to be and this and that. And well, there are other like numbers, it. like with numerology is kind of out of, um, like, astrology and, you know, some other things. So... You know, it usually makes a person focus on themselves, you know, and not so much God, you know, because there are two sources of power, you know, there. Um, Some are of, you know, one is of God and the other is of Satan because I can point, like when they start going into life path numbers and all that, that stuff is going a little off track. You know, that's not really what God gets into because Mm -hmm. that number tells you your walk instead of following the Holy Ghost. And God's will for you. So that's what makes the difference is one is, you know, symbolizing, you know, how God counts. Now, I do believe that Satan did take some good things of God and corrupt Mm -hmm. them, you know, and and get man to fall away. But, you know, God himself definitely deals in numbers. So there is a difference between the two for sure. Sorry. Okay, no, you're fine. Yeah. So just like when I was researching this, because I was curious what the numbers meant, and like when I was reading, it helps me understand more of the scripture. So that's kind of why I'm just going to give a little bit of background there. But when I got to 42, it felt like I, um, God took me on a different path to even go deeper um, that he wanted to show me. So I wanted to read Revelation 12, the woman with the child. And there appeared a great wonder in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and the moon, and under her feet and upon her head a crown of twelve stars. So like the twelve tribes of With Israel. Israel. Yeah. yeah. Um, so this was like a good thing. To, and she be, being with child cried, tra- uh, traveling in birth and pain, pain to be delivered. So the pain, um, that's like pain before the birth is like pain birth you're gonna have suffering before the birth of christ coming back to so we kind of saw it there and there appeared another wonder in heaven and behold a great red dragon so red that color represents murdering um dragon is the devil or satan having seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns upon his heads and his his tail drew the third part of the stars of heaven and did cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman, which was ready to be delivered for to devour her child as soon as it was born. 
and she brought forth a man-child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron, and her child was caught up unto God and to his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness where she had a place prepared of God that they should feed her there a thousand two hundred and three score days, which is three and a half years. Mm -hmm. So again, you see that 42 months um, where God, or the time where Satan comes back and is loosed into um, earth. But why this stuck out to me is, does anybody know what just happened with Obama, what he just passed, the law? Um, he just passed. He just <laughs> he just passed a law where um, everyone has. I mean, at a taxpayer dollar, the federal law um, that Planned Parenthood would be funded, no matter what. <laughs> so um, I don't know. I don't watch the news either. I heard this, and then I looked it up when I to confirm actually today when I was researching this. But yeah, um, Obama did pass a law where now it's basically supporting abortion and Planned Parenthood. I did more research on that. Um, there's actually 300, I mean, they do do some good stuff like, I guess, birth control for people who are fornicating and everything like that. But, and I know there's abortions provided for people, you know, who are taken advantage of or, you know, go through bad situations like rape and stuff. Yes, but, yeah, but um, it's actually the statistics from Planned Parenthood is there's 300 abortions to every one adoption that is happening. So that means, I mean, that to me, that's so many deaths and murders. That right there is the red dragon, Satan coming and taking and killing, um, going after the woman, the weaker vessel to do that. Um, I don't know, so that's just kind of what I wanted to share, which is kind of crazy. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Something to think about. But. Yeah. Except one thing, though, I've got to say this. Okay. Um, the, as far as, like, the good things that they do, like with birth control, I mean, birth control in itself is still abortion. Mm -hmm. You know, it's still murder. Because you're killing what can be conceived in the womb. So that, you know, to me, it's just, it gives other people a license to sin. Um, when you go to uh, Alice Bailey's 10-step plan, she even said to make that stuff right. So that way people could have sexual enjoyment without the benefit of responsibility. So that just made people just, you know, I'll just do this and whatever. So I get what you're saying, though, as far as that. But it also encourages fornication. Yeah. Cause hey, we ain't got to worry about getting pregnant or whatever, but it's still murder, you know, even if it even before it's conceived, because you're stopping something natural that the Lord made that could come forward. Exactly. No, but that numerology thing was awesome. I also um, kind of read when I was researching this, and I just want to maybe ask you because I don't know if it was true. Um, something about like the start of the tribulation period of when Satan would come back would be when a woman would take over into office. Well, I have my speculations about how his kingdom would look before his mm -hmm. return. I'm sure it would, it would be one to accommodate him, you know, because he wants to take God's kingdom and flip it upside down, you know. So that that's Satan's kingdom. It's it's the total opposite of God's kingdom. Um, I'll answer your question real quick. Um, Isaiah chapter 3. And I'll finish with, um, and part of that 
of that too at the end. Um, Satan's gonna be coming after God's children too. Anybody who is holy, we're gonna be the first one Satan comes after. Well, yeah, that great red dragon. Dragon. We did a, a study on Revelation. It's talking about the system of the beast. Mm-hmm. You know, they um, we break that down in uh, detail. But that's pretty much when people talk about the new world order. That's that great red dragon. That is Satan and his system with the seven heads and the ten horns. You know, and what those mean. Oh, boy, it couldn't rain long enough. All right, so it's uh, <laughs> okay. So this is talking about the last days that Isaiah is seeing here. We're gonna go to Isaiah three and let's start at verse one. Just want to make this point real quick. But these are the last days that Isaiah is seeing. Uh, Isaiah three and one: For behold, the Lord, the Lord of hosts, doth take away from Jerusalem. And from Judah, the stay of the staff, and whole stay of bread, and of the whole stay of water. We did a whole thing on Repent America about this, but this is speaking of, um, you know, when you don't obey the Lord, the first thing you'll know is the economy will fall. Mm-hmm. Okay, so all their sustenance and everything that they had is, you know, he's taken away their bread, their water, so there's going to be famine in the land. Uh, the mighty man and the man of war, the judge and the prophet and the prudent and the ancient. So these guys are going to be taken away. That's why you don't find many mighty men left. You got sensitive, soft men, because this is the turning that's taking place. All right, the prophet, so you can't hear from God, he's being taken away. The captain of 50 and the honorable man and the counselor of the cunning artificer and the eloquent orator. And I will give children to be their princes, and babes shall rule over them. So what you're going to have is, in these offices, you're going to have a lot of kids thinking they know the word of God, teaching things. Kids are going to be running the country. All right, They're going to be running wild without direction. And then it says, And the people shall be oppressed, every one by another, and every one by his neighbor. The child shall behave himself proudly against the ancient. Aren't we seeing it? And the base amongst the honorable. So you're going to have the dirty people against the clean people. And I don't mean filth. I mean like, you know, morally. Uh, When a man shall take hold of his brother of the house of his father, saying, Thou hast clothing, be thou our ruler, and let this ruin be under thy hand. And that day shall he swear, saying, I will not be an healer, For in my house is neither bread nor clothing. Make me not a ruler of the people. So this is symbolizing in the last days they're going to be selfish people. Don't come to my house. I only have enough for me. That's pretty much what it's saying. I'm not going to be a healer. I'm not going to do any of that stuff. I'm going to pass the buck in responsibility. All right. For Jerusalem is ruined and Judah is fallen because their tongue and their doings are against the Lord. And provoke the eyes of his glory. And shew of their countenance doth witness against them. So the way that they're dressed, the way that they're going to look in this time is going to witness against them. It's going to be against God. And they declare their sin as Sodom. They hide it not. They're gay and they're proud today. You know, woe unto their soul. For they have rewarded evil unto themselves. Say ye to the righteous. 
that it shall be well with him, uh, for they shall eat the fruit of their doing. So the righteous are going to, the Lord's going to take care of. Woe unto the wicked, it shall be ill with him, for the reward of his hands shall be given him. Uh, as for my people, children are their oppressors, and women rule over them. O my people, they which lead thee cause thee to error and destroy the way of thy paths. So in the end times, you're going to have children as the oppressors and women are going to rule. Okay, and that, this is what he's saying. It's going to lead them to error and destroy the way of their paths. Mm -hmm. So could there be a woman, you know, leading at the end? Absolutely. I think Hillary Clinton, if they don't call martial law, I think she will win. I think that's what will happen. Why? That best suits what's going on in the world today. Everything is flip-flop. So you already had a minority in the pulpit. Now put a woman in there. I mean, not in the pulpit. Well, women are in the pulpit, but a woman president. Why? So that Jezebel spirit can grow. I didn't bring this up last week. Um, Sarah reminded me of a teaching we did a while back. But when Jezebel was, was killed last week, her skull... Her hands and her feet were all that were left, showing that that Jezebel spirit is still thinking, working with their hands, and walking among us. Jezebel died a long time ago. We just read in Revelation um, 3 or 2 that um, that Jezebel, who calleth herself a prophetess, you know, has taken over the church. Mm -hmm. So that tells you they're not speaking of Jezebel. They're speaking of the Jezebel spirit, right? So, you know, I don't know if that answers your question or not, but I believe that it's possible. There could be. You know, I try and answer everything I can with Scripture just to make a point. Right. But uh, Romans 8, we should be done from there. Oh, Sarah's got something. Yes. All right. <laughs> One other thing. We'll go. Let's go to Psalms 3. I'm going to read Psalms 3 real quick. Psalm three. All right, Psalm three, verse one. Lord, how they. Lord, how are they increased that troubled me? Many are they that rise up against me. Many there be which say of my soul, There is no help for him in God. Selah. Be thou, O Lord, but thou, O Lord, are a shield for me, my glory and the lifter of mine head. I cried unto the Lord with my voice, and he heard me out of his holy hill. Selah. I laid me down to, and slept. I awaked, for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of ten thousand of people that have set themselves against me round about me. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for thou hast smitten all mine enemies upon the cheekbone. Thou hast broken the teeth of the ungodly. Salvation belongeth unto the Lord. Thy blessing is upon thy people. Selah. <coughs> Excuse me. Selah. So Psalms 3 is saying that, you know, we're going to have enemies that come up, up around us, you know, believing in the Lord. We have, uh, we've experienced trials and tribulations, and 
Um, because people are carnally minded, they can't understand salvation unless you know they want to be saved. So they can't understand the joys that we have. So Satan has his individuals as well. And you got people that are going to try and come against you and your walk with the Lord. I'm pretty sure we've, we've seen this before. You know, we I have and other people have. So it's like, even though that happens, we still have to cry unto the Lord. He's still going to hear you. He's still going to take care of your every need. And when someone tries to come against you, you pray unto the Lord. And He will help you. He will protect you. So, so I think at times, you know, uh, I know this has happened to me in the past where something happens... And instead of calling on to the Lord, we, we are in fear, you know, but instead of being afraid, and this, you know, it happens when we get closer to the Lord, you know, uh, Satan's going to try and come against us. And what we have to do is we just have to keep our faith in the Lord. And uh, no matter what trials and tribulations we go through, just call on to the Lord, seek him. And like I say, the closer we get to him, um, you know, certain things will come off of us, certain fears will come off of us, certain, you know, we won't be like, oh my goodness, how am I going to pay my rent? You know, my phone bills do, my electric bills do. Worry. Uh, huh? Worry. Worry, yeah, exactly. And, uh, but we just give it to the Lord. I've seen too many times where the Lord has overcome what I could not. Too many times He has, he has provided for my needs not to trust in Him. So, I believe that this is what it's saying. So, you know, just a quick psalm for everybody. Thank you. All right. Yeah, it's just one of those things that, you know, I'm not trying to beat a dead horse, but the Lord wouldn't ask us to repent. He wouldn't ask us to be overcomers. If we were once saved, always saved. You know, unconditional eternal security, I think, is really built in emotionalism. I believe if you really have repented and you are before the Lord and you're doing the things of the Lord, you're going to be driven. You know, you're going to stay up under the Lord. There's no way for the Lord to protect you being outside of him. Right. You know, the children of Israel, yeah, the Lord kept um, giving them chance after chance, but there also came a time when judgment had to be made and things had to be done. So all this book is about obedience. All the servants of God had to learn how to be obedient. Help me obedient. Solomon fell away. The Bible will tell you that. Because Solomon, even with all his wisdom, stopped following the Lord. Mm -hmm. Okay, so the Lord gives us direction for a reason. Not to pick it up when we feel like it. Okay, so we are not once saved, always saved. Romans 8, and uh, we'll start at verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation of them which are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. So there's no condemnation to them that walk after the spirit and not the flesh. Right. For the law of the spirit of life in, in Christ Jesus have made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for, uh, and for sin condemned sin in the flesh. Mm -hmm. So Jesus became flesh, I mean, sin for us, you know, to condemn sin in the flesh, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the spirit, the things of the spirit. So if you think about the flesh, you're in the flesh. If you think of the things in the spirit, you're in the spirit. You get a lot of people asking me, 
you know, self-proclaimed Christians. Did I see Scandal the other night? Did I see this? Did I, you know, the Dave Chappelle show and all that was going on? You know, I'm not into that. You know what I'm saying? My mind is either focused on this or, you know, what I have to do the next day or what. But don't ask me anything about some other stuff outside of this. I mean, if we're discussing our lives and things that are going on, hey, I'm all ears. But if you want to ask me what I think about, you know, The Bachelor or any of those shows, my mind is so far from that, I could care less. All right, so... For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. So this guy was talking about being a carnal Christian. There's no such thing as a carnal Christian. Okay, a carnal Christian is an unbeliever. All right, so it says, um, because the carnal mind is enmity with, against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So the carnal mind can't even get what the things of God are. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. But ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you, if the Spirit dwells in you. Now if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. Now a lot of people think they're walking around born again, and they're not. You know, they have never forsaken the world and given their lives to Jesus Christ. Okay, born again is being born of the Spirit. Okay, uh, 10, and if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. So if Christ really lives in you, this is one thing I will agree with that guy on. If Christ truly lives in you and is built up in you, the body is dead. You don't care about the things of the world. So you will, you will pursue Jesus Christ. But that's not what he was talking about. He was saying if you're once saved in salvation, then you're saved. And there's nothing you can do to lose it, which is ridiculous. All right. Um, so the body is dead. You're not going to care about a lot of stuff, only the things of God. Right. Verse 11. But if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. Quickening, you'll be able to do the things of God. You know, you're going to want to do those things. 12. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh, uh, to live after the flesh. For if we live after the flesh, uh, ye shall die. But if ye through the spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. Now that's an if and then statement. Okay, if you do these things, ye shall live. So you can't be once saved, always saved. You've got to follow the Spirit of God. Verse 14, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage, again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father, like Daddy, Father. A lot of people are going to bring up that they're talking about the law here, but they're not talking about the law only. They're talking about the way that a Christian is supposed to walk. So this thing is totally conditional. Mm -hmm. Okay? Verse 16. The Spirit itself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. So the Spirit only tells you that you're a child of God. And if children be heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with him that we may be also glorified with him. 
that we may be also glorified with him. It's not a guarantee. You may be if you stay in. All right. Um, where am I running my mouth? I lost my place. What is it? 18. 18. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. That is a fulfilling. When you become a manifested son of God, you'll be like Paul. You'll be like Tim, you know, Peter, those guys that were really doing the works. Right. Okay. Um, 20. For the creature was made subject to vanity, but willing, I mean, not willingly, but by reason of him who have subjected the same in hope. Because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. So, you know, you've got to be brought up to this point. For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even uh, we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit of the redemption of our body. For we have, so we are saved by hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. Uh, for what a man seeth, why doth he yet hope for? So in other words, if you see it, if you know it, then you don't have to hope, you believe. Mm -hmm. Okay, but again, this thing is conditional. Uh, let's see, 25. But if we hope uh, for that we see not, then do we with patience wait for it. Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we know not uh, what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. That's speaking in the Spirit, you know, like in, in another tongue, really. Uh, and he that uh, searcheth the heart uh, knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that all things are worked together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestine to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might uh, be the firstborn among many brethren." Now, i got to make this point because some people will look at predestinate here and they'll say, well, that means, see, God did it. You're once saved, always saved. Then why does it say predestinate to him? I mean, to he also called and whom who called them that he also is justified. Oh, wait, did I pass that? Oh, yeah. Um, and it says that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. So it's not a guarantee. It's like reservations being made. I've got this set up for you. If I don't, you don't make it, then that's on you. But it says that he might be able to do these things. So it's not a will. It's not he predestinated so we don't have to do anything. You might receive it if you continue in the ways of God. Right. Uh, let's see. Uh, moreover, whom he did predestinate them, he also called, and whom he called... Uh, them he also justified, and whom he justified he also glorified. 
they love to use this point too because they'll tell you that if the Lord called them, then he justified them, you know, so they got to weigh in no matter what they do. The fact of the matter is here, if you look at this, it's saying, well, what does Jesus say? Many are called, but few are chosen. Why? Because everyone doesn't make that where they should be. You don't, you think the Lord wanted some of us to be bums? You think the Lord wanted some of us strung out on drugs? You think the Lord wants some of us doing 20 or 40 years in prison for murder? No, the Lord predestinated us all to do that which was great in him. But many people did not make their destination. They did not make it to where the Lord called them to. Now, can you achieve these things in prison? Absolutely. Can you achieve these things on drugs and getting saved and clean? Absolutely. So I'm not saying these things are a death sentence. But what we have to do is strive to do what the Lord calls us to do. That's important. Because predestination is setting things up reserved. Jesus even said, you know, for them that believe, he's reserved mansions. He's got all this stuff set up. But are we going to make it? Are you going to take the call? Because the Lord didn't bring people in this world to be damned. He said that all men may come to repentance is why he's calling us. But everybody isn't going to make it. You know, and Jesus said that in Matthew 7. And it won't be because of him. It's because they chose not to believe or to listen. Uh, where am I, 30 or 31? What shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all. Um, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Now remember, we're not speaking salvation here. We're speaking about God's love for us. If we are following the Lord, this is why he said earlier in this passage, if we walk in the spirit, we will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. So it's telling us how we should walk. And if we're walking in the spirit, Look what's reserved for us. Because some people will come and pick things out. See, it says this. Wait a minute. There were conditions at the beginning of this chapter. Right. Saying that if you, if you do these things, then you will have these things. Um, 30, uh, 33, I think. 34. 34. Who is he that condemneth? Um, is it Christ that died? Yea, rather that is risen again. Who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. So this is not speaking about once saved, always saved here. This is speaking of who can separate us from God's love. Mm -hmm. Tribulation won't separate. If you're following the Lord and you suffer tribulation, the Lord is with you through all that. All things that you go through, the Lord will be with you if you are faithful to him. Now, will we make mistakes? Absolutely. But the fact of the matter is, this is speaking of those who are walking in the spirit, who are pursuing the Lord. Okay, um, so none of those things can stop us from the love of God. This is not speaking salvation. Right. As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. 
Nay, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. We are more than conquerors. We have to conquer. That's all it's saying. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, uh, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So this is not speaking salvation. This is saying that nothing can separate us from his love. If we, I mean, if I was a murderer and didn't serve the Lord, and I went to hell, the Lord would still love me. I'm just not making it into the kingdom. Right. I'm not making it into his inheritance. But it doesn't change his love for me. He's just, hey, without holiness, no man shall see the Lord. Exactly. So I don't know if I made you guys more confused or, <laughs> you know, having an understanding of this. Because a lot of people are being damned to hell with once saved, always saved. There's nothing easy about salvation. Yes, you believe, but there will be things that will be attacking your belief. Right. Okay, as you go, trials and tribulations are guaranteed in a Christian's life. Jesus said to his own disciples, um, be not deceived. For many shall come in my name saying, I am Christ and shall deceive many. Yep. So this is telling you, you have to remain in the faith. So with that... Um, if anyone has anything else to add, any questions, you know, it's good to get it straight because I'm sure people listening will probably have some questions too. You know, I'll probably get an email, which I did a little while ago. So, you know, I'll address that issue later. So, um, no one has anything to add. I guess Sarah will pray out. Heavenly Father, I want to come to you tonight. And I want to thank you for another day that you've given to us. I want to thank you for all the things that you've done for us, everything that you've blessed us with and bestowed upon us, Lord, for you have taken care of our every need and so much more. Lord, you have blessed us beyond measure. You've never left us wanting or without, and you've given us everything that we need to go through this life and to serve you. And Lord, I'm asking and praying today that you will build us up within this ministry. Lord, that we will search your scriptures, that we will know what you have set before us, Lord, that we are not going after a false doctrine, that we are not going after false teachings and false prophets, Lord, because there are so many of those out in this world today, Lord. They are Satan's watchmen, Lord, and they are deceiving the masses, <clears throat> and your word says that they would come. So, Lord, we have to know what your scripture says. We have to test the spirits to see if they be of you or to see if they be of Antichrist. Lord, I'm asking and praying today that every one of us today, that we will make you the rock of our salvation. Lord, to know that if we have true faith and belief, that we can do the works that your scripture says that we can do. We can raise the dead. We can heal the sick, open blind eyes and deaf ears, Lord, and speak in new tongues. But we have to move forward in you. Lord, we cannot have any fear in this life of what the enemy can do to us. We can't fear trials and tribulations and persecutions, Lord. We can't fear loss of family or friends or job. Lord, because you will take care of every need as your word says. And I pray today, Lord, that we stay thankful for everything that you have given to us. Lord, that we stay thankful for the places that you've provided for us to live, Lord. That we stay thankful for the food that you've provided for us, Lord. That we have clothes on our back, Lord. That we have transportation. Everything, Lord, that we need, you know. So I'm praying today, help us, Lord, that we not pray for our desires, but we pray, Lord, that we stay right with you, that we pray, Lord, that we stay those humble servants, Lord, 
that we pray, Lord, that we stay those willing vessels to go into the promised land, Lord, to be evangelists. Build everyone up in this ministry, Lord, that we will seek to know what you're calling upon our life is within the body of Christ. Lord, we don't know how much time that we have left. And I'm praying tonight, Lord, that we not waste another minute of it. But, Lord, that we come before you, that we work out our own salvation with you with fear and trembling. Lord, build us up today. If there's anyone in here today who is struggling with something, Lord, that we give it to you. Anything, Lord, that keeps us from having a relationship with you, Lord, whether it is false doctrines, whether it is people in our lives, Lord, whatever it is, I pray that we will come to you, that we will give it to you, Lord, so you can work in our lives, that we can have a relationship with you, Lord, that we can hear your voice, that we can know where you want us to go, who you want us to talk to, Lord, that we can know that we can have true joy and peace by believing in you, Lord, fully. The enemy has found his way into the church, Lord. He has found his way into the pulpit. He's, he's come out, Lord, with all these false doctrines, deceiving the masses, Lord. And we have to be separated from that. We have to know what your scripture says. Lord, let us be given into more prayer and fasting to kill off the flesh, Lord, that old sensual, soulish nature, so we can live in the spirit, Lord, because that is where you are. You are in the spirit. That is the perfecting, Lord. That is the striving. We have to keep going forward. So that way we can receive a crown of righteousness, Lord. So that way we can be truly saved. Help us, Lord, that we get to the sanctification process. That our minds be solely focused on you and what you have for us, Lord. That we will fight our way into the kingdom of heaven. That we will not give up. That we will not give in, Lord. That we will not go back into, into sin. That we will not get frustrated. Lord, let us stay completely surrounded in your glory, filled with your Holy Spirit, Lord, so when the enemy comes, he has nothing in us. Lord, I am praying that you would put an outpouring of your Holy Spirit upon this ministry so great that we would burst at the seams, Lord, that we would want to go out and to preach and to teach your gospel, Lord. With your spirit of discernment, help us, Lord. Watch over us this day. Let us take on the full armor of God, because that is our defense against the enemy. Lord, build us up every day to bring lost souls to you. Help us to see and understand the spiritual warfare that's going on around us. Lord, place your shield of protection around us. Guide and direct and lead us. Lord, let us hunger and thirst after your word, for your understanding, Lord, for your godly wisdom. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. amen. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.